Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 232 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, uh, I'll tell you, I'm bringing you this episode because at one time, once upon a time, I had two podcasts. I had the Canadian Church Leader podcast and uh, this one. So I did that for about 18 months and we had some amazing conversations. I actually wound that down in June. If you're curious why I would have two podcasts and go to one, I give all the reasons for it in the final episode of the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. It's a study in leadership. But anyway, uh, one of the most reacted to interviews I did on the Canadian Church Leaders podcast was with Christine Birch. Now, uh, Christine is somebody I've known for over a decade. She's been involved in several uh, growing large churches, including ours at Conexus, where she currently serves on staff. And uh, she is also, they're kind of a power couple, <laughs> married to Rich Birch. So those of you who follow on seminary might have known about Christine. And anyway, she is an incredible leader. And she heads up First Impressions, Guest Services, and all of the steps of assimilation at Conexus Church. So what I wanted to do this month was bring you that interview. It's a fascinating conversation. We got so much response to it. And honestly, the difference in follow-up like doing a better job on follow-up can be the difference between you being a growing church and a flat church. Like if you've actually got new people, how do you assimilate them? We continue to make improvements on it, but I think you're going to love this conversation. And hey guys, you know, we're heading into Christmas too. And I just wanted to let you know something really exciting. So this is the first Christmas season where my um, best-selling book, Didn't See It Coming, is available. I know a lot of you have said you want to gift it to other people, which is incredible. Um, so if you want to do that, head on over to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com where you can get all the information, including links, uh, you know, how to get it on Amazon. And there's also some bulk order information too. I know a lot of you are buying it for teams, for your entire staff, um, which is incredible. It's all about the seven challenges that no one expects, everyone experiences. The cynicism chapter reaction has been off the hook, but I also talk about pride, emptiness. It's all those little things that kind of take out people and take out leaders. And if they don't take you out, they kind of cap your growth and they certainly cap your joy. And it's been an incredible journey with Didn't See It Coming. Now, I got, I got fun news for you too. Guess what? There is now a version study plan. So yeah, there's a five-day devotional study plan um, based on the whole issue of cynicism, which seems to be the hot subject in the book. So if you find yourself a little bit cynical, uh, you may want to head on over to YouVersion and just search Didn't See It Coming or My Name and the free devotional plan will come up. It's something you can take people through. And of course, if you go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com, we've got the link there as well. So guys, thanks so much for making this an incredible fall. It's a joy hearing your stories. We're at over 300 reviews now, I think, on Amazon. And uh, just to see what God's doing through the book is pretty exciting. And I know this is a really big season for you. That's why I wanted to bring you not only information about the book, but I wanted to bring you this conversation because guess what? You're going to have a ton of guests if you're a church leader in the next month at your church over Christmas. Follow-up is critical. So anyway, Christine Birch, she is on staff with us at Conexus Church. She has served at Liquid Church in New Jersey. She's been part of the Meeting House in the greater Toronto area. 
And uh, she and Rich have a couple of kids who are now entering their teen to grown-up years. It's so exciting to see. They're a great couple, great family. And anyway, without further ado, here's my conversation with Christine Birch. Christine, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So you have, uh, you've joined our staff at Connexus Church recently, and uh, we're really excited about that. The Connections Director, is that your That's title? That's my title. That's right. Ah, uh, there was a day where I knew all that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that day is no more. What does that mean to be a Connections Director? I think in general, it means that I'm working to get people plugged into groups and teams. To mm-hmm. We think that that's probably the best way to get plugged into community at Connexus. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I would say even more time thinking about the groups side of things. Um, But in terms of both campuses, that's where it gets a little bit more challenging. I've got a presence in both. Both campuses, soon to be three campuses, plus all those online people. Who knows what to do with all those online people? I've been dreaming about that, actually. Have you really? Yeah. Okay, we'll have to talk about that. We will. But you've also (laughs) been a part of three large churches. So uh, you and Rich were part of the Meeting House for, what, a decade? Was it almost Uh, a decade? A little less than that. I would say it was about seven years. About seven years. there, yep. And uh, also Liquid Church in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, growing church. How many people by the time you left were attending Liquid Church Ooh, in New Jersey? I want to say, I'm not a numbers girl, so this is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I knew the numbers at my own campus, but yeah. um, well, we were at six campuses wow. and you know, we were between 2,500 and 3,000, I would say. We would hit Christmas Eves where we would have 8,000 people in attendance wow. kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. so a good-sized church. And then here you are at Connexus back in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's good to and be home. Uh, your husband, Rich, who leads the Unseminary podcast, writes at unseminary.com, is now the executive director at Camp Minioe. Yes. Which, if you're an Ontario person and you're in church world, you know Camp Minioe. And so Rich is definitely a part of that and really enjoying that. But it frees you up to be part of our church. It's been great to be back. We want to go into a lot of uh, places, but tell us a little bit more about the journey that you and Rich have been on and some high points for you at the three different churches. Sure. So early on in our marriage, we started to attend the meeting house in Oakville. We had arrived there um, coming out of a season in ministry where we thought maybe we would remain anonymous for a little while. And um, that didn't last very long, but uh, over uh, about a year and a half or so, Rich ended up joining the staff team there, first the leadership team and, um, and then the staff team. So we spent a bunch of time there. We mostly hung out as a family at the hub, the Oakville campus. And uh, for just just towards when we were uh, moving away, we were actually, our family would spend time at one of the regional sites. And that was a great experience as well. So I suppose when we arrived there, it was about a church, a church of about a 750 people. And I think when we left, it was over six locations and um, about 4,500 people. I'm not sure where wow. they would be at now. Yeah. Obviously, they've grown since then because that's years ago, about 10 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you came, you were here at Connexus that's briefly. Right. You helped us launch Connexus. Yes. And then went to Liquid Church. Yeah. So, we uh, joined, my husband, Rich, joined the team down at Liquid Church. Um, it was in a very similar spot to where the meeting house was at the time that we started there. It was, uh, 
just about to be two campuses at the time. And again, when we uh, left, they were at six. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the team there for seven years, the entire time we lived in the U.S. Uh, and then once we had our green cards, I joined the team at the campus where our family attended. That campus, it was exciting. It was our fastest growing campus at the time. We had a launch team of about 175 people. And uh, within the first year, it grew to 800 people. Wow. So that was, I my role was, was that kind the permanent of- location, the one that, that was they the bought? one, yeah. yeah, that we had given to us. So that's a whole story in and of itself. But um, yeah, pr- prior to that, every campus had been portable. And so it was our first campus that wasn't and had this new resource to manage. And uh, my role was to kind of care for people in that season of growth so that they didn't feel like they were just another number or another person that was walking in and out the doors. And then you come back to Conexus, which, you know, is a good sized church for Canada. We see about, you know, 1200 all in on the weekend. And then we're launching a third campus. Plus we have online, Um, but not all the resources you would have had or been used to at the meeting house or even at Liquid Church. Right. I mean, a dozen staff or 15 staff, I guess we're up to now, Mm -hmm. um, rather than 30 or 60 or 80 staff and much more in a, in, you know, a, a context that a lot of our listeners would be familiar with. Many people say large churches are terrible at connecting people. Um, they're cold, they're anonymous. We've heard that about Conexus as well. And, and certainly that's a criticism that gets levied at a lot of churches on both sides of the border. Um, have you found that to be true? I'm not sure that we can say that size has anything to do with how warm or cold a church is. Right. I, I think... Um, You know, typically large churches have hopefully learned how to scale connection and and to scale that warmth and the way that people feel plugged into community. Um, But I'm not sure it has anything to do with size. I I just think we can have those experiences in huge churches or in very tiny churches. For instance, my in-laws, they have moved around quite a bit. Uh, They've spent some time in the U.S. as well. And at one point they made a stop just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. So right, they decided to attend Southeast Christian Church. Oh yeah, one of the biggest yeah, churches. Yeah, I think it's like 10th largest in the US. Mm-hmm. And they have remarked a number of times that it's one of the places they felt the most at home. We're talking, I think 25,000 people on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and they felt quite plugged in there. So all, and I, I'm sure anybody listening can say that they've had a very similar experience at a small church of under 100 people. But I just, I just don't think size has anything to do with it. I think that intentionality and that scalability is what allows large churches to give people that experience of warmth. Have you ever been to small churches that you would say are cold? Unfortunately, I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was thinking back to a time early on in our marriage, pre-meeting house for us, when we were church shopping as newlyweds. Right. And we knew that it was going to take a while to find a church. Um, we had both pretty much been raised in the church. So we knew the type of thing that we were looking for and knew that we would have to give it an honest shot. We couldn't Mm -hmm. just figure it out in one visit necessarily. So we came to a church that we thought might be a match. And um, even though it kind of went against our grain, we were were attuned to the announcements. There was a newcomer reception happening. And I don't recall (laughs) if... It dates it to even call it a newcomer reception. Well, we've been married a long time, so we'll (laughs) give them that grace. (laughs) 21 years ago. Um, But we heard an announcement about it. We saw it in the bulletin. We even saw a sign in the lobby that this newcomer's reception was happening. And this church, I would say, was midsize. Yeah. Um, We could walk in and 
I don't think we felt noticed that we were new mm-hmm. necessarily because it was a, a decent sized church. Anyways, we knew that I, even though we weren't necessarily dying to go, we knew the best thing to get plugged in would be to attend this newcomer's reception. So we made our way, followed the signs, made our way downstairs and uh, found the room that it was in. There was actually a sign out front, outside the door yeah. that said, this is where it was. And we went in and just looked like a fellowship hall, if you will. Um, but it was empty. And uh, we thought, okay, well, <laughs> we've been there. We've worked in churches before. We know like it takes some time. Maybe the pastor needs to chat with some people and then they'll come or you know, maybe there's a volunteer that's just picking up their kids and then they're going to run this reception or whatever. But we waited about 10 minutes and to the point where we pulled the bulletin back out and double checked and we looked back outside to make sure we read the sign correctly. (laughs) People popped their heads in to look at us. I don't know who they were. (laughs) You were at a zoo or something? I don't know. We were the only people there and nobody came. No way. So that felt cold. And that was, you know, mid-sized church with good intentions. They were at least having some sort of event, but they didn't host it. So that felt cold to me. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we were Christ followers and we showed up that day and um, that wasn't going to make a difference in our faith. Um, But if we hadn't been following Jesus and hadn't been invested in finding a church that we wanted to get plugged into... Um, I'm not sure what that would do. We didn't return. No, no kidding. Did you ever get a backstory? Did anyone ever apologize to you? Oh, well, or no, like- I don't. No one would have known that we were there. <sighs> we could have just been. I don't know how anonymous we intended to be, but we probably were more anonymous than we. You know, early in my my marriage, Tony and I uh, were actually looking at a church that was interested theoretically in having me as a pastor. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was not too far from where we are right now in Oro, but I ended up coming to the Oro churches where still in this community today, 22 years later. But we looked at this church, which is north of Toronto, and it was really small, like 30 people. And I remember preaching and going, I don't know about the vibe in this place or not. So there's 30 people there. And they all went down to the church basement um, after. And so the I fellowship? thought, yeah, the fellowship hall, the fellowship <laughs> basement, which was, you know, probably hadn't been painted since the 1970s and, yep. you know, old carpet, the whole deal didn't, was a little bit musty and you had the triangular sandwiches and, you know, you know, the whole traditional church deal. So we're down there and everybody is talking to everyone, like all 30 people, there's probably one big circle and then a couple of others. And so I thought, well, I'm going to connect with people, find out their story and everything. So we literally, we had our our then infant son with us or three-year-old or whatever. We're standing on the outside of this circle, just waiting for someone to like kind of invite us in Mm -hmm. or, you know, you know how you do that. And then normally people would be like, oh, hey, yeah, come on. And it wasn't like they didn't know who I was. I was the preacher. Like they had watched me for an hour lead worship and I just kind of stood there and the waters never parted. Nobody, mm. nobody said hello. Usually a baby is your ticket too. Oh my if that gosh. wasn't going to happen with a baby in your hands. Oh, I know. <laughs> and literally we just kind of stood there in this awkwardness all by ourselves, mm. trying to engage people with eye contact, trying to make conversation. Nobody reached out to us. We literally, after 15 minutes, just kind of gave up, went back to our car and I called the interim moderator and said, scratch that off our list. Mm. Like if we can't even get in, yeah. What what is what is the shot now? Maybe they hated me and they didn't want me, but that's a funny way to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a, a really direct. funny way to tell you. 
<laughs> yeah, so I've been to small churches. I've also been, to be fair, to large yep. churches where it's felt very anonymous or like you're, you know, a cog in the wheel or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so what are some keys in your view, because that's your job at Connexus to connect people, and we've had some record success under your leadership, which we'll talk about. Um, but what are some keys to connecting people in your church, regardless of size? Large churches, small churches, mm-hmm. mid-sized churches. What are some of the things you need to do if you're going to do a really, really good job connecting people? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to remember whether you're in a large church or a small church that people yeah. maybe assume in a small church mm-hmm. that community will just happen. Right. But no matter the size of church, it takes hustle and it takes intentionality. And so I think first thing, no matter what your size is, we just have to make sure that we're posturing ourselves so that a new guest feels, first of all, expected mm. and and then accepted once they have identified themselves. So, you know, what from an expected point of view, what are you doing um, intentionally to let guests know that you were hoping they'd be there today? that you knew somebody might come that was brand new and then accepted. Are you fostering a culture where people, regardless of their background um, or their, their faith journey, whether it exists or not, do they feel like maybe someday I could feel at home here? Um, so there's two so things. Break there. that down. If somebody comes, cause I, I think you're right. You know, everybody who shows up at the door of your church is not necessarily a Christian mm-hmm. and maybe they grew up in a Christian home, but they're, they would no longer consider themselves, you know, practicing Christians, or maybe they have, you know, very typical in Canada, just this made up spirituality. I believe in a God, you know, I do some Buddhist meditation and I do yoga. Uh, and so I'm spiritual, but I don't consider myself Christian. What are, what are some turnoffs, turn ons to mm-hmm. people like that, where you could be like, Whoa, this could be a deal breaker or, you know, what, what do you do with that? Because that is our reality in the country. Yeah, I think we, and I don't know that every church leader is necessarily comfortable with this, but I think we do have to defer to that person. Hmm. You know, our insiders, they're kind of locked and loaded. Like we know what their destiny is <laughs> yeah. and and that's great news. Um, thankfully that they have, most of them have assurance, but we need to defer ourselves to the people that we're just not sure where they're at. And we can't make assumptions that people have any sort of faith background. So by that, do you mean like put them first, like kind of leave the Christians behind and go talk to them? I, I'd say so. <laughs> it's hard. No one wants to hear that. Um, but I think programming wise, uh, anything mm-hmm. that's happening on the stage, pe- we have to express that we have expected a new guest that might be exploring faith or might be indifferent to faith might show up in our services. So it's not necessarily just what happens in the lobby or what happens with signage. Do they feel expected there, but do they feel expected from a programming point of view? And are we referring to them? Are we even acknowledging? I've been visiting my, you know, churches where my family attend just to support them when I'm on holiday and that sort of thing. And a couple of things I notice. First of all, people run a lot of programs. I can't even imagine how they run them all well. Even in small churches. hundred percent. Um, but it's so, so rare to be acknowledged as a new guest from the stage. And it just makes me think, oh, it's probably not happening all that often. So when you say acknowledged as a new guest from the stage, you don't mean like, hey, you in the third row over there, are you new? Oh. Or do, what, what do you mean? Not that, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, in the welcome, in the um, the hosting script, if you will, we just have to be making sure like, hey, there, I'm pretty sure I see some new people in the crowd today. We're so glad that you've decided to come. Right. Um, but we want you to let you know that you are most welcome here. We want to give you a gift, whatever it is. We just have to actually acknowledge that they're in the room. 
So let's start there. Let's talk about first-time guests. And what are some do's and don'ts, some best practices and maybe some bad practices for first-time guests? All right. Well, I think when we think about our first-time guests, we've talked a little bit about once they're actually in the room. But before they even get there, they're going to have interactions with us as a church before they even lock eyes with a person. And so I do think part of them feeling expected is comes right down to what's going on out on the street. Where What type mm. of signage is there? Is it questionable of what entrance they would use in the building that you meet oh, in? Oh, that's a pet peeve of mine. Oh, my goodness. Like, lock doors. It's like, open all your doors or, like, make the signage really clear. <laughs> well, even if you pause, I was at a church in the summer when we were on vacation, and if you pause in the parking lot and look, it's not always clear where you should go. You can see a certain group going one direction, a certain group going yeah, the other, and so true. you start to play mind games. Am I that? Am I those people or am I those people? So I think clear signage is is a must for a new guest. Um, that warm welcome, I think it's, it's, we have to make sure we do it in the service and in our programming, but I also think it happens well before people get into the auditorium or the sanctuary or wherever you meet for your actual service. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. What is good signage? like? I would say there should be signage before people can see your building in an ideal world, just to kind of confirm, oh, this is the turn. Um, now, sometimes your church might be out in the middle of a field and it might be super obvious, but wherever those people turn from, uh, the, the kind of the major throughway or the highway or whatever that's closest, I think there should be signage right from there. And we do portable signage. I know it connects us church mm-hmm. at our locations because we're in side streets yep. in, in you know suburban Barrie, suburban Aurelia. Yeah. And so your signage might be on your building and visible from all of those major arteries, but not always in most cases. Mm -hmm. And even to say, and you can usually put out, you're talking like sandwich boards or flags that Mm -hmm. are like, you know, turn right here or an arrow showing you the way to turn this way. And then what about when you get to the building? When you get to the building, I think even not necessarily on signage, but people are signs in a way. We have to be present in the parking lot and letting people know that, yes, by all means, park here. You know, sometimes we can, again, defer to our first guests by giving them priority parking. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, that's a nice service for someone, but it's strategic. There's a reason we do that. Any thoughts on parking that's reserved for staff or senior pastors. That would be on the no-no list in my opinion. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I know every time it's on my no-no list has been for years. I mean, there's never been a church where I've had reserved parking and that's intentionally. Usually I park in the furthest corner Mm -hmm. or at the back. Like I know it connects us. Uh, most of the staff and most of our volunteers, yep. we're, we're parking actually one lot away. That's right. So that our guests have top spots. I actually think that's a sign of a healthy church. If you go mm. to a church, you know, an hour before their service has started and there's nobody in the main lot, that doesn't mean nobody's there. That means right. likely if they are expecting guests, they are in a different lot. Yeah. And so, so, and I know sometimes you get pushed back. It's like, we only have five parking spots for the whole church. Well, you're probably not arriving three minutes before the service begins. And if you are, that's okay. You know, if you don't have a helicopter, but for the most part, it's just like, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Mm -hmm. So then you'll inconvenience your guests. It's little things like that. I love your idea that people are a good sign because we always have, 
greeters, like the, what do we call them today? We changed the name like five times. Um, well, we have parking attendants. Yeah, but what's our guest services? Is it we guest still services have guest still? services. We have a next steps team now too. That might oh, be what you're thinking see, of. It changes all the time. What do I know? <laughs> I only work there. Right. Um, so, so we have a, a next steps team and a guest services team and they're usually visible. They're opening the doors. That's right. Opening the doors, like making eye contact with people. I like to think that, um, we have to be, we almost have to be social geniuses in some cases. We have to be able to read people <laughs> right. and um, and kind of gauge if they want to be engaged or not, but um, act in a way that is welcoming and, and not overbearing. Um, but yeah, I think those people need to be identified by possibly right. how they're dressed in a t-shirt or a name tag at very least. Um, but having a team in and of itself that is there to do that is a sign that you have expected someone to come. You said something really interesting too, just about the way you're greeting people. So is that like you need emotionally intelligent people on the front? Because sometimes there are people who like, everybody gets a bear hug. Yeah. Well, not everybody wants a bear hug. No, that's right. There are other cold fish people who just greet everyone like a cold fish. What are you looking for? For that. I think you said it like emotional intelligence and mm. social intelligence. We have to be able to gauge people and um, and that's not easy. We can no. you can train that in most cases and you can curb those over enthusiastic greeters that are, you know, the bear hug people. We can we can train <laughs> those people and just remind them that not everybody is like that. Um, but I think, you know, we just the posture of the, that team goes a long way. And, um, I think you are people, they say that people make a decision of whether or not they're going to return to your church within the first, within the first seven minutes of them being in your parking lot. Wow. So if they come with enough time to check their kids into your children's ministry or just enough time to figure out what door to enter, likely that has nothing to do with music or teaching or hosting. That decision has been made based on your volunteers that are out in the parking lot. Um, so long before they've ever heard the sermon, before the band or whoever yeah. plays a note, they've already made up their mind, I'm coming back or not. Yes. Now, before people think that's not even true, because I mean, we're the insiders, right? We're going to be at church. Most people listening to this podcast, let's be honest, you're paid to be at church or you're a hardcore volunteer, right? We're on staff, we're volunteers. But do you think we do the same thing at a restaurant? Like if you're just out, like, do you make up your mind early on sometimes? I do think so. I think Mm -hmm. you're basing it on service before the food arrives at your table. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you have to wait for a seat, you've, you're starting to form opinions about your experience. Absolutely. If people don't talk to you, Mm -hmm. you know what my, can I say what my pet peeve is these days? Sure. All right. It's a (laughs) drive-through culture. Um, But when you walk into a store and think of a local national donut store, just to pick one out of the air And this happens often with younger workers. I think it's just a matter of training. But you got four people there. You're the only one at the counter. And they look at you and they don't even engage you. Mm. They're so busy with the drive-in. They're Mm -hmm. so busy, or drive-through, I should say. They're so busy with the drive-through. They're so busy trying to get orders done. And it's like, if you would just look at me and say, hey, I'll be right with you, or someone will be right with you, or good morning, we'll be right there. Mm -hmm. That's different. I have walked out of stores Mm. because of that, where you're just standing there and they're watching you stand there and they don't engage you and they just leave you. Sometimes I do that on a Sunday morning, Mm. to be really honest, where, you know, you're so busy 
trying to talk to the worship leader or you're busy trying to find a staff member and somebody's looking at you like, I'm looking for something, we can do that, can't we, in church world? Yeah, I think we have to train our volunteers to be aware of that. I think a lot of times when you're onboarding a volunteer in any team, you you tend to focus on task when really the church is more about community and relationship than anything else. And that's what our faith is more about than task. Yeah, yeah. So why would that not apply to your experience on a Sunday morning? And so I do think it is, it's, it's something, it's, it can be a bit of a revelation for people uh, if they've decided to volunteer in a guest services type role, that it's not just all about getting the, the child's tag on them with the appropriate number right. to the right class, it has a lot to do with, you know, are you down one-on-one with those kids eye to eye? And is just, do they feel like they've been warmly welcomed and expected? Mm-hmm. Any other elements for first-time guests that you can think of? I think we should be thanking people for coming. Mm-hmm. Um, people live crazy busy lives, and we shouldn't assume that Sunday morning is carved out necessarily for church. So first of all, we have to make sure we're, this is going to sound crass, but we're providing a good product. We're providing yeah. something that is worth getting your kids out of bed for, uh, getting your whole family there. We know that's hard. And um, so it has to be worth the drive, worth the drive to act in, as we would say in Ontario. (laughs) Ontario. (laughs) Um, But I think we should thank them for doing so. And if they if they go as far as to identify themselves as being new, we should be thanking them with a gift, in my opinion. Um, You know, I would go as far to say it doesn't even really matter what the gift is. It's a bit of a a carrot to get them to uh, identify themselves. And some people choose to do so on their first visit and some people wait. Sometimes it takes a yeah, long so time. Break that sequence down because I know a lot of churches do it, but not every church does mm-hmm. it. So we've done gifts for years now at Connects Us and it keeps, seems to keep changing. We've done different things as yeah. gifts, but we're not talking like, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of merchandise. What are, what are we giving away these days and why do we do it? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Well, first of all, the what isn't super important in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I've been at churches that have done chocolate bars with a wrap around them, like a Hershey bar that then has right. the church name wrapped around them. And I've I've done t-shirts for years and years. We do mugs currently, like a really nice mug um, at Connexus right now. But I actually don't think it really matters what the mm-hmm. gift is. So I, we're talking like 3 to $5 items or Yeah, less. I would say a t-shirt could be up to 10 particularly right, in Canada, right. unless you're sourcing it well and crossing uh-huh. the border and that sort of thing. Um, but that's actually something that I think about. I do think our follow-up should be generous and this is the beginning of our follow-up. Um, so, and then why the gift? What is that? That's a, just a nice way of saying thank you, but what, there's something else behind it too. Yeah, of course. It's an exchange for your, for your information. So I would say we would just love to have record of your visit being here. And actually we would love to give you a gift just to thank you for joining us today. So walk us through that sequence because just to make it clear how we do it, and it's not the only way to do it. It's just a way to do it. But um, rather than having everyone fill out a card, what happens? So at Connexus currently, we have um, a connection card that we do use uh, for other reasons in the service, but it also kind of serves as our new here card. And we'll invite people to fill that out. And if they bring that with them or decide to fill it out at the new here kiosk, which is in our lobby, then we will be able to engage them in a conversation and then give them that gift. So like I said, there is a big ticket item, a bigger ticket item in that gift, but it's also a strategic way to not necessarily bombard them with more information, but 
but we do put a couple pieces of paper in there. Paper, that's not the right word, but... but I know what you, you mean, you printed, know. printed things. Yeah, printed items. Yeah. Invite to coffee. We have a, a coffee card, we call it. It says free coffee. We'd love to hear your story. It's got my name on it, the campus pastor's name on it. And we're trying to engage them on a relational level. So um, we're inviting them into it. So if somebody, if I'm new, I could just follow up and like you or the campus pastor would have coffee with me. That's right. Free coffee. Wow. How often do people action that? I'll be honest with you. Not often. Really? So it's funny because uh, we just started to implement that in a second campus and I just wanted to give the campus pastor the heads up so that they knew they could get more requests for coffee. I'm not sure it's happened yet. And we've been doing it for a month in this new campus. Um, I actually think the card in and of itself, the gesture goes such a long way. And, uh, and very few to people know that you could, you could, you've got our email address. I think we started that, you know, I shouldn't know that, but I, I, I think we started that a number of years ago as a response to a sermon series where, uh, I said, Hey, someone will have coffee with you. Mm-hmm. And when we launched it, we had dozens of coffee. So it's something we could emphasize. I don't think we've ever said it from the front either. No, I talk about it in our assimilation event, which we yeah. can talk about later next. Next, um, We talk about it there. We give those people the card again, but it is, like I said, it's in our, our new here bag. I said to the current pastor where we're launching this, um, I said to them, let's just give it a month and see what happens. And if you want your name mm. off it, and that sounds crass, but it's just a guarding their time and their, yeah. and their resources. Um, we can, we can switch it up and we can just have my name on it or a volunteer's name on it. Even. Right. But the idea is, I think, in not making everybody fill out a card and giving people the option, it allows people who want to be anonymous to stay anonymous. And then when people decide to tap in and go, you know what, today's the day I'm going to let you know who I am. I'm going to let you know about my kids and I'll pick up that gift. It makes it a meaningful exchange. And and we see sometimes one or two dozen people fill that out on a Sunday. Absolutely. We'll see a lot. Yeah, it's it is amazing. I've I keep notes on a Sunday morning on a little pad and I look back, I date the the paper and I look back so I can rehearse names and that sort of thing. That's just something I do. But I was interesting because I was looking back the other day, I finally saw a guy that I've been tracking with for like over six months serving on a team for the first time. Cool. And and it was cool. And I I knew his name. I could remember when he came to our assimilation event. Um, I know the number of times that he has said, yes, I do want to join a team. And then it hasn't amounted to anything. But here it finally happened. And I think that, you know, being able to track with him relationally and and just remembering his name over the over that season all moved towards that. It doesn't all happen immediately like we would probably love. We would love for someone to come oh, yeah. new and then sign up to be on a team the second week they're there. But that's not realistic. No, and that's a really good point too. Persistence is a good virtue because I think in our mind, somebody attends church day one, mm-hmm. they surrender their lives to Christ, they get involved, they're baptized by four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and they're tithing by dinner, right? Yeah. Like I think in our imaginary mind, that's how it happens. But in the real world, it doesn't happen that way. No, and I think we have to remember that if somebody is walking to your church for the first Sunday or the 50th Sunday or the for three years, whatever it is, everybody arrives on that continuum from wanting to be anonymous, but we know they need to move towards being in community in some way. Mm-hmm. And so in the case, <clears throat> excuse me, of that volunteer, it took him some time to take those steps. The steps were clear. There was a relationship involved. And so he was connected that way. He was known um, after he decided to be known. 
but it still took them time. So people, they will naturally push towards remaining anonymous. And of course, we want them to be plugged into community all the way. And I've been there. I, it's a tension to be managed. I remember our first home church at the Meeting House 20, or not quite 20 years ago, I remember, like I said, we were hoping to remain anonymous, to sit in the pews, so to speak, for at least a year. We actually said that to each other, that we're going to sit and and kind of observe, and, and at a time it felt like healing. But there was a clear step that was communicated to us. And I don't think it was necessarily guilt, but it was communicated in a compelling way. And I... I came out of that knowing I need to be plugged into community. And so that the clear step was made. I, we signed up for a group that day. It wasn't easy. We mm. still were struggling, even as a Christ followers, to walk into that first group. But you know what? I actually, we were out with people from that very first group 17 years ago. We walked in with a pregnant belly. There was babies everywhere. There was young marrieds up and down the staircase. It was huge. Um, but we were just out for dinner with one of those couples just on the weekend. And we both said to each other how we have to watch that uh, we don't compare all of our groups since then to that group because it was, it was such, so great. such a good experience. A lot of that has to do with the season of life we were in. We we're all pretty vulnerable having our first kids mm. and that sort of thing. But all that to say, the average first time guest or newer guest doesn't realize how good that experience can yeah. be and they're going to push against it. So I think it's our responsibility. It's a little bit of a stewardship issue, to be honest. If they're going to identify themselves as being new, then we need to start pointing them towards what we know is best for them. And that is community. Well, and I think the other thing, you know, about a staggered timeline is that's where systems and a process are your friends. Mm. That's where, because you don't know, you can't predict, you know, Sunday one, somebody's going to connect and for somebody else, it'll be Sunday eight. And for someone else, it might be Sunday 36. Like, you know, the meeting house got up that day and whoever was announcing it said, hey, today you should. And for whatever reason, you know, it moved on your heart. You got into a life changing group and, you know, every Sunday that could be that Sunday for somebody who's new. That's right. Any, we talked about a couple, but are there any don't do's for first time guests? Like do not do this at home. Yeah. We have to watch that. We don't force people to identify themselves. <laughs> I was, yeah. uh, someone told me this story and I had never heard of this before, but this is a definite no, no. Someone told me this story about how they showed up at a church and the volunteer identified them as new. They said, Oh, you, you're new here. So Part of me is like, wow, good on them for recognizing. But then you have to wonder, well, what is the size of the church that you're able to mm. recognize? So that's that's neither here nor there. But they proceeded to, oh, you're new here, opened their Bible, found a sheet of stickers and slapped a first time guest sticker on their shoulder. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a no, no. <laughs> yeah. Tell me why, though, because some people, you know, there might be one or two people listening going, I do that. Sorry. If you do that, I apologize. <laughs> There's my Canadian coming out of me. <laughs> what, what, why um, is that a bad idea? Because we can't force the identification. We would, we can't say, hey, well, for instance, at the, at the meeting house, and I was always surprised at this, but they would say, the way they identified new here guests when we attended there, this is years and years ago, and it very well could have changed since then, but they would say, if you're a first-time guest here, we would love to hear, love for you to let us know that you're here, but the host would raise their hand. Model, this is what we want you to do if you're a first time guest. I'm actually surprised that we used to do that, but mm -hmm. they would never say 
raise your hand if you're a first-time guest. Right. They'd say, if you're a first-time guest and raise their own hand, and then people just do what they're told, it seems, or what's modeled for them, and they would, and then guest services team members would come down and then present a gift to them. But if I don't want to, I don't have to. You don't have to. Yeah. And so even that is is a bit of a... It's not forced. It's encouraged, let's say. But I think you can't force it. You can't say, all the new, you're new. I talked to you before we started the service. Why don't you stand up and tell us where you're from? No way. That's not going to happen. No one's going to come back. We were on vacation in Savannah, Georgia, on our way to Disney World. And a pilgrimage many Central Ontario people make. And, was it March? Uh, was it March It was break? probably March. <laughs> and we were there with our extended family, my siblings and so on. And this is years ago. And I remember we found this church to attend right around the corner from the hotel. First of all, everyone was dressed in a suit. And I wasn't. I had vacation clothes. And we sat in the back row. There was a whole row of us. And somebody had talked to us on the way in and found out we were from Canada. And like from the front in a church of 200... They're like, and there's a whole row of people from Canada in the back. You guys want to all stand? And I'm like, oh my gosh, the last thing I want to do is be identified. I just wanted to come to church for one Sunday. Yes. And I think the key on that is you got to think about how it makes the guest feel. 100%. We have to defer to the guest. Because just because you think it's great doesn't mean they're going to think it's yeah, great. Yeah, you can celebrate that on Monday. Yeah. You don't yeah, exactly. have to talk about that in the service. Any other no-nos for first-time guests? Um, I think actually allowing total anonymity is probably a first, right. is, is a no-no for first-time guests. We just have to make sure the steps are clear when they're ready and then encourage it. And so, you know, I'll bump into people on a Sunday morning and be like, oh, Christine, I'm so sorry I didn't respond to your email. I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. I just think it would be so great if we could have a coffee. And so I'm constantly pushing against that. I've got grace for that. That's fine mm-hmm. if you're not going to respond right away. Um, but I do think that there's, you know, People live, like I said, people live these crazy, busy lives, and we have to push against that. We have to be reminding them that connection in a a community that follows Jesus is something that you need, and people don't necessarily identify with that on their own. And so the no-no would be to let them explore that on their own and to just, like, it's a stewardship issue, honestly. If people are coming fresh, if they're brand new to your church, you have to think about like, for instance, back to that newcomers, empty newcomers mm-hmm. guests, think about the lost potential there. So we're Christ followers and we weren't going to turn around just because of that. Right. But think about the lost potential there, um, the stewardship totally. issue, right? Yeah, no, I think you're right. That is a stewardship and you pray for more people. But it, and, and it, I think the stewardship analysis is really good. I mean, if you want more money and you're like, God, I need more money. You know, one of the questions God may be asking is, well, what have you done with the money I've given you? Yes. And if it flows through your fingers quickly, why would I give you more? If you mishandle it, misspend it, abuse it, why would I give you more? On the other hand, if you're a good steward of it, we'll give you more. And so often it's not just new people. It's what did you do with the people I sent you? That's right. That's All right. right. Well, let's talk about um, follow up with first timers. What is proving effective? What sometimes is spinning our wheels? Mm. Well, I think in general, some principles uh, for follow-up, I think we have to be quick. We need to be personal in our follow-up. And I had mentioned this already, but I do think we need to be generous in our Mm. follow-up. So quick, I think there needs to be systems in place that allow you to uh, interact with those new guests who opt in to to let you know that they're there um, quickly. Ideally... what's that, 24 hours? Well... In different ways, I think it could be that close, mm. definitely before they're making a decision about next weekend. So it's hard to know, to get inside someone's mind, but I like to um, reach out in that first week, almost three times in different ways, 
before they would be making the decision of whether or not they're going to return the next Sunday. So break that down. How do you do that without smothering them? Okay. <laughs> so um, our whether people opt into our communications or not, that's a bit of a, a Canadian issue. We have to be um, wise so with that. So you mean if they allow you to email them or yeah. not? Yeah. So there's, there's two things that happen. Someone fills out their card. Um, they may or may not check a box that says, yes, keep me in the loop. If they fill out their card and don't check that box, we will still follow up. If they've given us an email address, in in my opinion, being a good steward of that, that's them saying, yes, Actually, reach out to me. Actually, legally, that is consent in Canada, if I understand the if law. If they give it. Mm-hmm. So our um, campus pastors will reach out to that new guest in a bomb bomb email. So that's that email service where you can embed a personal video. We'll link to all this in the show notes, bomb okay. bomb, and uh, maybe we can upload our, our um, new person card too. Yeah. Our communication yeah, card, connection card. Um, so that happens in the first week. Um, our, if you opt in and you interact with a volunteer, which if you're filling out a card, you would, if you're receiving a gift, you would have received that from a volunteer, possibly a staff member, but more likely a volunteer. That volunteer is going to write you a postcard that day. So hopefully if we can get those in the mail Sunday afternoon, this is, it's a little bit stretched out in Canada, depending on what's happening. So the person who greeted you writes you a postcard or the person who, who sort of helped you sign up, writes you a postcard. That's exactly right. Hey, I'm Carrie. I met you at Connexus on Sunday. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we'd love cool. to see you that next Sunday. One thing I've learned from Jeremy, our campus pastor in one of our campuses at Connexus, is he's always reminding me, don't assume that people know that they're welcome back. Hmm. And I think we have to just keep inviting them. It's true. Right? So I, I would put that in that postcard. We would love to see you this Sunday. You're welcome back any Sunday you can make it. Uh, so they get the postcard that drops in the mail some somewhere in that week. They get that bomb bomb email typically Wednesday or Thursday. And then I actually phone our new guests. I don't get through to everybody. I probably get through to 75%. You leave a voicemail? I leave voicemails. And I typically will just introduce myself. I wouldn't necessarily have met them, of course, because I'm not in multiple campuses at the same time. Um, but I will just thank them for coming again. Um, invite them back, and then um, often invite them to our assimilation event next that we run monthly at each campus. And so hopefully, it's funny, I had a great conversation with a new guest just last week, and she said, well, we were just talking about you. And I said, she goes, oh, well, not you, the church. (laughs) And then she went on to say, we got the postcard, and I just opened my inbox, and I thought, we're getting ourselves in front of them multiple yeah. times before they're going to make a decision about the next week. They didn't come the following week. There were, it was a holiday weekend, but they came the third week. And, uh, and actually, they, one of them joined us at our assimilation event within the month. So, And again, if you don't have staff for this, some of you who are part of larger churches are like, wow, one staff member does all this or, you know, you have a yep. team around you. But just get a volunteer to 100%. make like three phone calls a week. That's Three right. phone calls a week, There's, two cards a week. It's not that hard. That's right. And the volunteers do that, those cards, yeah. before they even leave on Sunday. It's right. a part of their Sunday volunteering experience. And the way you do that is you don't make them go to the store to buy the card. You have right. the cards ready there, the it's pens with stamped, ink. Stamped, everything is there. And then we've got a computer to look up postal codes if people miss that. Uh, we try to make it as simple as possible. I've even written a template postcard for volunteers to copy Brilliant. if uh, if they need that. Because it's not natural for everybody to yeah. do that. We're pushing the volunteers a little bit. But I think what we're trying to do is express that well, we're the quick piece, but also the personal 
piece. We want our follow-up to be personal. And what we'll do, this is a lot of information, but Christine, maybe you can make a summary of like our first-time guest process, just sure. bullet point one, two, three, within the first seven days. We'll put that in the show notes, which for you sure. can find at kerryneuhoff.com. Uh, just search for Canadian Church Leaders Podcast or even your name, Christine Birch, like the tree. That's what I say. Like Correct. the tree. People like to complicate it. B-I-R-C-H. <laughs> Super simple. That's and you'll find the show notes there and, and we'll link to this. So let's keep going. Okay. So that's first time guests. Well, I've, there's even more. Oh, there's more. Well, but wait, guess, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on the personal front, I think we just have to remember that people can spot, they're not they are not dumb. They can spot a form letter a mile away. Right. We just really have to focus on that that personal piece and and the generosity piece. And, and that kind of, it, I guess it does fall into more second time guests. Mm-hmm. But um, we have been working on tracking, we don't track attendance at our church, um, but we can track check-ins mm-hmm. for children. And so oh, families- say, We still track attendance, well, we, as far yes, as I can tell. With families. We do. We okay. don't have everybody but you fill mean, out our you card. Don't know. Yeah. So if you have like 800 adults in the room, mm-hmm. you don't know which adults were there, but you do know which, which children were there. Yes. So in other words, you can't tell whether, you know, um, you know, Jake and Emily were there for week one and you don't know whether they came back week two unless somebody says, yes, I saw them. That's right. right. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So we, because young families are our target market Mm. anyway, we are doing some more follow-up with um, families because we can track their tenants. And so even, um, we've kind of got a classification where our guests who are new one week, if they don't come back the next week, and this is part of being personal, we notice. Hmm. We notice because they didn't check their child in the next and week. How do, yeah, okay, so what do we do? So we reach out to them. This would be the least personal reach out that we do. We reach out to them, hand address an envelope. It's more of a form letter, but it's addressed to them specifically. And we give them a little bit of an incentive to return. So there's a coupon in there. Come pick up a book, your choice of this or that. And um, we would just love to have you back any Sunday. Then if they came the third week or anybody who comes the second time, we reach out to them again, personal handwritten notes. So they got their postcard week one. Um, this could be week two or three or four. We'll track it. We're just going to keep tracking attendance. Um, when they come their second time, they're going to get a handwritten note card, hand addressed with a gift card in it. Cool. And that's that generosity piece. We just want to be thankful that they have come and that they've spent time with us and hopefully bless their family a little bit with a treat. Now, what do you say to some people who are like, so basically you're bribing people to return? I would say, don't think of it that way. Think of it as stomping out that myth that churches just want your money. And so Mm. I think generosity is the best way to, to stomp that out. It's a little thing. Like if you go to someone's house, you bring a little gift, right? That's right. And it's, we're not buying them dinner. It literally is a $10 gift card to wherever. Uh, right now it's booster juice. Um, but, and so maybe one parent can take one kid to go get some, a, a treat someday. And then they'll think warm thoughts about Conexus when they do that. Okay. So that's cool. That's first, second, third time guests. Anything else? Um, we'll link to all of it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. 
Well, we, those, in that phone call, we're often in all of those communications, we're pointing to that um, assimilation event. And so if somebody has opted in for our communications, they have checked the box, not just left us with their email address. They've checked the box that says, keep me in the loop. Then we do follow up with them regularly and, and right. continue so to point them. The, onto the general mailing list. So if we're doing any event. Yeah, the general mailing list and then targeted mailing lists um, that refer to this specifically invites to the assimilation event. Um, we also use email quite a bit, right? Yeah, we do. And that's what those are. And we get um, fairly high open rates, which is surprising. Yeah, um, it is. It is surprising. Those bomb bombs, especially mm-hmm. that, that video, those, we are able to track those very specifically and, and they get pretty, pretty good open rates, which is great. Like what, what are we seeing? Oh, Gary, I'm not the numbers. You're not the numbers person. Well, I'm a pastor. I'll make Um, it up. 92%. (laughs) 92% open. I would say it's seasonal. It seems to depend on how busy people are. But like the majority are open. I would say so, yes. No, I've seen, I mean, I haven't got the stats with me, but I've seen the open rates can be as high as 60, 70%. Mm -hmm. I've even seen 80% on some emails we send. And a lot of leaders write off email because most of us hate email. Yeah. Or, Or maybe I'm just projecting here. A lot of us hate email. I do. Um, but it is the most effective way to connect with people. It is. You're getting really it is. in one of them. You're getting in front of them in different ways. And I do think that that's key. We want mm-hmm. to not necessarily make our brand known, but no. uh, our presence known. Well, and you want to connect their week. them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their best shot motivation. is through a local church. That's right. And mm-hmm. that's why we want to track the second time guest because yeah. we know the average church sees one in 10 of their first time guests return. I'm right. not content with that. Um, we, if they are opting in to be communicated with, then I'm going to take them up on that and I'm going to keep pointing them towards away from anonymity towards community. Hmm. Okay. So, um, how do you know when it's time to give up on a first time, second time or third time guest? Like when does it cross the line and become pestering, annoying, or just bad? <laughs> well, if they have opted in for your communications, um, that's the, that's the only way they will continue to be pestered, mm. quote unquote. Right, right. Um, followed up with. Yes, yeah. followed up with, let's say that. Um, and they'll always have the opportunity to opt out. They can always unsubscribe. So okay. I don't worry too much about that. Um, I But I, will, I would rather uh, push against being, you know, accused of pestering then have an empty newcomer's reception at yeah. some point. I would, if they are telling us, yes, and go ahead and invite me, or excuse me, um, contact me, it's, we have to. It's a responsibility. Well, it's lost potential. At the end of the day, you, you, you want them to meet Jesus and you want them to connect in community. This is it. They're more likely to if they return to church. And so I want to encourage them right. towards returning. Now, a little editorial comment just on what we were saying, because the Canadian spam laws changed a couple years ago and I was still in the lead pastor seat at Connexus. And I remember with a law background, I read extensively on this and so did our team at the time. Just a pro tip, before you start like emailing people like crazy, please, please, please read the summaries of the legislation on current Canadian spam stuff. It's even probably worth consulting a lawyer um, because the penalties are huge. And you have to be very careful how you email people. Um, Don't buy lists. Make sure that people, uh, there are certain things you can do with donors, et cetera, et cetera, that are implied consent, but you need explicit consent for other things. And we have some of the tightest anti-spam laws in the world. Um, Make sure you do your homework. We just don't want anyone in jail. That's helpful. Or broke. 
<laughs> so make sure you do that. And we've done our homework at Connexus, so we're hopefully complying with those every day. Um, but it is complicated. And uh, I am not currently practicing law, so please consult somebody who is. <laughs> there we go. That's right. I just play a lawyer on TV. Um, so will everyone connect? Or you think you're just going to get to the point where some people still just want to attend? It's funny. I just had a first on the weekend. What's that? I had a first where somebody at an assimilation event... Um, Instead of checking a box for more information about whatever, we give them lots of different options, groups, teams, financial learning experience, whatever. Um, They actually said, I'm content just attending the service on Sunday morning right now. (laughs) And I was like, oh, previous to that, that's the first time that's happened to me. And I was like, well, it happens. It's not bad. They're still coming. He didn't say, that's it, I'm out. He had opted into an event over and above a, the regular Sunday morning experience. So he wasn't saying, peace out, I'm, I'm done with you guys. He was right. just saying, this is all I can do right now. Okay. And, and his, granted, his whole family wasn't there. He wasn't making decisions without his wife. And just that just might be respect wise. that. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to happen four months from now, a year from now, exactly. down the road. Now, I do think that we can, there are other ways to onboard people um, that we might not necessarily be thinking about. Like I've talked about teams and groups, but at Liquid, we found... Um, that we could engage people that had just been attending for years and years um, in a volunteer experience that was a little bit higher profile, lower commitment. So Mm. by that, I mean, we would run these outreach events. Maybe we're packing 250,000 meals for people at Christmas time that are going to go to different shelters. Um, Or when Hurricane Sandy came through, we were going to muck out houses and and, um, help shore communities and that sort of thing. We engaged, that was Thanksgiving weekend in the U.S., which is a big deal. And we engaged 1,500 volunteers on Thanksgiving weekend. Wow. So I think there are um, opportunities to engage people that have been hanging around for a while but haven't yet plugged in. And then we are then responsible to follow them up. So high, pro- high profile, low commitment. In other words, yes. hey, all we need is a Saturday morning. That's right. All we need is a Thursday night. And so they jump in. And then instead of just having this random group arrive and depart, you know who's in the room. Mm-hmm. And if they've you taken one check step. check in as a volunteer. Yeah. They have to register to be there. So you've got yep. their information. And then again, you start that stewardship issue all over again. We have to follow up with these yeah. people. How was their volunteer experience? Do, you know, are they interested in taking a next step? And then you mm-hmm. engage them all over again, even if they've been intending for three or four years. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Even in a smaller church where you don't have a massive database or you don't have to register, it's like, wow, 40 people came out, but this is the very first time Christine ever came to an event. That's right. And Use a Google form hey, and track their attendance. Or tap Christine on the shoulder and say, mm-hmm. it's good to see you here. Yes. You know, what make would you like to do? Make a relational connection. Yeah. Make a relational yeah, connection. Absolutely. Um, I got to ask you about group link. Because that is how we get people into groups. And we just had the biggest group link by far that we've ever run. Like 2x the normal attendance. I think we had 250 people who attended yeah, this just, event. Uh, just about 240 were there. 240. Or, so excuse me. Had registered. Pastor math. Yeah, so yeah. I exaggerated. It. But anyway, <laughs> over 200 people, adults, connected in groups, which is pretty exciting. And remember, there are hundreds of other people already, already in, in groups. groups. It's That's not right. like everybody in groups. So... 
why all of it? And normally we would get between 50 and 100 who are trying to connect at yeah. any one given time. Maybe we've done 150. I've, we've seen about 100. In the time that I've been around, I've seen about 120 in our yeah. kind of kickoff season, which is fall. And then the winter season, um, I think we got up to 80. And it was a bad snow day, to be honest. We probably right. could have yeah, got a few yeah. more. But this was definitely so new territory. What what learnings did you have? And how? what were some of the best practices that got so many people connected so quickly? Well, again, I do think, um, and this applies to any size church, it literally takes hustle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, know, there was a lot of phone calls, a lot of following people up. Um, It's not simple, um, or it's not easy, but it is simple. You just have to hustle and get it out in front of people. Mm -hmm. Now, on the same side of it, I've tried to keep good data on people that maybe opted into group in the winter but didn't come because it was snowy and then never ah. got plugged in. So I can follow up with those people, people who have. So take your no-shows. In other that's words, right. Work they with had them. intended yes. to go last time or the time before. And that's your low-hanging fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Those are people who are like, they already said yes to community. Yes. Just for whatever reason, that night or that group or that evening didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. That's a brilliant idea. And I bet you that gets lost again and again. And then eventually those people could feel abandoned a year from now going, well, I wanted to get a new group, but nobody ever followed up with me. And now we're, you know, not even attending church or we've gone somewhere else. Yeah. And that's a version of our follow-up needs to be personal. Yeah. We have to notice when people aren't there. And so we take, we have people at group link actually check in. They read when they arrive, oh, you're here. Check. And so we know, oh, and so, you know, the week after I spend time following up with those no-shows and just saying, hey, we missed you at Group Link. We noticed that you couldn't make it. We'd love to connect you with the leader that we thought was the best match for you. Oh, that's really good. So you did some of that. And then any other thoughts on why we got that huge response? Yeah. um, I mean... I think, like you said, we have a we we have a group cycle. So we have a core of people that are in group and typically stay in that group for eighteen to twenty four months. And we run group link a couple times a year. So there definitely weren't they, this wasn't two hundred and almost fifty pastor math people that. <laughs> that were brand spanking new to group. There were some groups that were adding people. There were people that were ready to multiply their groups. And I actually do think that that's a big piece. I Mm. have really focused on that as I've chatted with group leaders in the past 12 months on what multiplication is and how, um, you know, identifying an apprentice leader will help us in the end open up more and more seats for people who aren't currently in a group. And just to explain that in groups theory, what you're saying is a lot of groups, let's say there's eight people who meet every Friday night or Tuesday night or something like that. And if they don't multiply, and we encourage our groups to multiply every 18 to 24 months, what happens is it's just those same eight people and they can go for years or they're done and then they're just done. And rather than that, you're saying, no, we want you to build an apprentice. We want you to multiply after 18 years so that eight can become 16 because four go in one direction, four go in the other. They add four more each. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, more people are in group. Their group has a whole new dynamic and lifeline and it's healthy as opposed to dead, decaying, and stuck. Well, and the thing is, again, even our plugged-in people who have been in groups 
tra- journeying with people for 18 and 24 months in their own circle, those people also will push against that natural propensity towards anonymity. And yeah. so really what's happening is they just want to be anonymous amongst themselves. They don't <laughs> right, want right. to move towards community again. People. That's right. And I get that. And so I think um, one of the focuses I've had in the past year is just to dispel that myth that you are not breaking up. You are uh, have the opportunity to create what you have experienced in the last 18 months, two years, and share that with more people. And you don't have to say goodbye to everyone that's in your group. I do think that that was a myth that was kind of in the ether out there that you were saying goodbye to everyone in your group. No, you can take one or two other people or couples with you, send your apprentice leader with one or two other couples over there. And then you actually are able to multiply the health that you experienced in the past 18 to 24 months. No, that's incredible. And, and, and listen just to the level of detail because it's so impressive. Now, there are a lot of small church leaders listening who are like, I'd love to have 1,200 people attending and a staff of 15 and multi-million dollar budget. We don't. There's one staff, half a staff person. I'm bivocational. Any thoughts for the small church leader? Well, I mean, there's the groups issue and then there's the following up of new guests issue. So let's back up to the following up of new guests. If you don't have the staff to manage that, I would just say, take a look at what you're doing and start with the personal piece. What can you do that's personal that shows new guests that they are expected and accepted? So you might have a cream of the crop volunteer on your guest services team, or maybe it's just an ushering team or whatever you have. Find that person that you would just love to replicate and resource them. Mm. Hand them two or like a loaded up Starbucks card and a loaded up Tim Hortons card and it, just empower them to invite some people out for coffee. That's an easy place right, to start. Because you're probably dealing with two or three people a week at the most. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard. And chances are they'll know. If, if your church is a bit smaller, they're going to know who those people are. And if they have that social intelligence, they're going to be able to uh, genuinely and warmly not creepily, invite somebody Mm -hmm. out for coffee. And it's a step. It's like a walk before you run. Um, But I do think it's not even worth going much further until you are giving your guests a way to identify themselves. Right. you, Even a you simple have to contact, know they're there. You which we'll put in. The, we'll put our version in the show notes. You can simplify it, make it a lot easier. And the other thing I would say, because often I'm like, we don't have any volunteers like that. Here's here's my challenge. My guess is every single week you've got someone to count the offering. I bet you never miss that. <laughs> you know, really, yeah. because because it would be like, what are we going to do? Just leave the money sitting there. If you can find someone to count the offering, you can find somebody to have coffee with new people. Absolutely. And I don't think you have to have the the most A-list person on day one either. You know, we're developing a next steps team at Connexus right now. And I had, it was so great. I had a new volunteer, fairly new to Connexus that was as on this team. And she's learning as she goes because she's new to the church. There's new people. Yeah. So she doesn't know all the answers to all the questions yet, but her heart is for the new guest. So I'm going to let her watch me do anything. So Mm. she said, I'm, she said to me the other day, I apologize that I kind of lingered after I introduced you to that person, but I just really wanted to listen to how you spoke with them. No shame in that. Boy, That's amazing. Right. Good for her. And so, and then often I'll, um, actually it might've been the same person. She's super just dying to learn. She, um, she just said, I just loved how you asked them whatever I asked. How do you, how do you do that? And (laughs) it just allowed me to have a development conversation 
right in the middle of the game. Like that's our prime time between services. And we just, we were doing leadership development in the lobby after we did guest connections. Um, so I think you don't, ha- you can't get caught up in having the perfect person. I think you have to have a warm person who is socially intelligent and just release them. Yeah, somebody that you would enjoy having coffee with. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who knows how to carry a conversation but doesn't dominate it. The person who knows when it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rather than, oh my gosh, I thought there was going to be 20 minutes. Here we are two hours later, right? You want you want the person who picks up on those cues and who people like being with. Um, any thoughts? I think we covered it fairly well, but for midsize or larger churches, anything? Yeah, I do yeah. think midsize or larger churches, you can definitely get into kind of that framework of quick uh, personal and generous. What? Mm. Look at what you're doing now and apply that lens to it. Are, is it is it happening fast enough? Um, yeah, because you know, are you and, waiting two weeks to send and an who's email? Who's doing it? I know yeah. we went into quicksand for a while where everybody assumed somebody was doing it. And sometimes that meant nobody was doing it or was on their to-do list on Monday, but nobody got to it until Wednesday. And like, you got to get out of that quicksand. Yeah. Well, we say with generosity, we encourage people to automate the important. I think we have to systematize the personal Hmm. and it's, it's work on the front end for one person, even if it's just one person. But as soon as you can systematize that, you can involve a volunteer. And before that sounds stupid, like, and I'm not criticizing you at all. I think you're bang on, but people are like, what do you mean systematize the personal? Any large organization, including top hotel chains that do an incredible job of personal service, systematize it. Mm -hmm. It's a system. It's not that they hire all these brilliant minimum wage people, you know, or they, they hire a whole bunch of people and they train them exceptionally well. So when you arrive, it's like, well, hello, Mrs. Birch. It's good to see you. Well, how did they know that? Well, they have their ways. They have their systems and they figured it out. And if you're a return guest, you know, they know that you like maybe the room at a certain temperature or whatever. That's what they all do. And that's a system. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you read, uh, we'll link to this in the show notes, but E-Myth Revisited um, by Michael Gerber, is it? Michael? Anyway, E-Myth Revisited, we'll link to it in the show notes. There's a whole section on systematized personal relations. It's so good. Now, Christine, before we go, this has been great. Again, we'll do a summary in the show notes. If you just want the bullet points and the downloads, they'll be there at kerryneuhoff.com and just search uh, Christine Birch or um, click on Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. You'll find it there. Tell us about the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, because uh, this was an idea that we had in the summer of 2016. It's finally time for us to do a conference. We did it in 2017, but as sort of the guy who's the visionary behind the conference, you know, sometimes as visionaries, we get all these ideas and then, I don't know, it'll magically happen. Well, (laughs) it didn't magically happen when Jeff Brody, our lead pastor, said, I think we're going to get Christine to coordinate this. I'm like, great. And man, you crushed it. You did an unbelievable job. The reviews were fantastic. And one of the, the, the real highlights, I mean, we had some great talks. We had amazing people and we will again next year. Um, but the guests kept raving about the details. Mm. It was everything from how they were greeted to all the elements, to the way they were treated, exactly what we've been talking about so far to the point where by day two of the event, I, I watched like church leaders from across Canada, pull our volunteers aside and start asking them really strange questions. <laughs> like, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Were there our volunteers and we had what a hundred volunteers for the event. I don't know. We had a lot. Pastor math. Yeah. 75. No. Yeah. We had like over a hundred for sure. Okay. We had a hundred yeah, yeah. volunteers for real. It was verified. 
Um, but they were asking our volunteers, like, how do, how do you know all this and why do you behave this way? Are they feeding you yes. scripts to tell people? Like, are you told to tell people certain things? And it was like, no, this is just part of our culture. So yeah. walk through some of the details. What did you do to make that such a special event? Well, I think our heart was there. We wanted to make sure that our guests at the conference um, were cared for well. And we Mm -hmm. wanted them to feel, just like we've been talking about with new guests, we wanted them to feel expected and accepted. And also to um, to raise the bar a little bit of what church can be like in Canada. You totally did. I mean, talk about, you had this canoe there that well, <laughs> yeah well we had a fun theme it was Canada 150 surprises. yes okay. we can't tell you everything uh. <laughs> well it was Canada 150 so we had some fun theme to go with um on the Canadiana side of things and we'll, I'm sure we'll touch a little bit of that again in 2018 but yeah we had a canoe that served as our big cooler for some of the after parties um just a little bit of the decorating and the theming that way um you know what it is though a lot of those great ideas come and those details get executed by those great volunteers and so um this was a big project and it wasn't something oh that one project manager could do so the way i tackled that was with volunteer leaders and i i have a feeling in general that um it, this wouldn't be true at every church but i do think in some cases we underestimate what a volunteer is willing to do and the commitment level that they actually have, um, it goes beyond Sunday sometimes. Yeah. And um, and they just are inspired and want to be a part of something special. A lot of volunteers, you know, they're not developed in their day job. And mm-hmm. uh, the church can be a place where they are given more responsibility or more freedom or more creativity. Um, or they can exercise more creativity than they can in their day jobs. And so we established a volunteer team um, that then led all of the volunteer teams. And then we just had more, um, you know, we had staff, everybody had a staff point person. So there was, you know, uh, support and accountability that way from the staff team. But all of a sudden we're involving more people that don't have to run church on Sunday, right. that don't have to, you know, get buckets ready for children's ministry at the other campus. Um, and so they can get excited about something that's their little mini project and they knock the details out of the park. Oh yeah. Like I remember every time volunteers came out for a snack, there was a new setup. And so one snack was butter tarts, but it was served on wedges of like maple tree trunks that were, um, varnished and just beautiful wood. And I'm like, who thinks of this stuff? Like it would just be, here's some butter tarts in a, which are a Canadian delicacy here. They are in a box. Right. But, but people thought, and those were a lot of volunteer generated ideas. Yeah, well, it's just, yeah, absolutely. There's super creative people in our midst, and mm. uh, and for them, it's a joy to be able to exercise that as a way to serve at the church. Typically, you know, that type of person would end up being on a guest services team because they have right. that hospitable heart. But they love to do stuff with their hands. They love to affect mm-hmm. things creatively. And they're hosting parties and decorating exactly. their houses. So they're and using their resources. So you can have. say, stand there and hand out that piece of paper. It's like, hey, how would you do this? And then you end up with great ideas. Just share one of your favorite moments of the first Canadian Church Leaders Conference. Oh, one is hard. 
One, mm. one moment. Okay, sorry. a couple. Okay, you can do couple. a couple. One related to volunteers. Uh, you you probably would have missed out on this because this was at the tail end of the first session in okay. the auditorium, and I ducked out to troubleshoot something, and. Um, the, the band was killing it. It was super fun. They kind of, they were playing um, a song that had a little bit of a great big C feel. Mm-hmm. And um, the volunteers were so excited to receive all of these guests out. The guests were, all, the auditorium was packed. They had no idea this was happening out in the lobby. But all of these volunteers and their volunteer shirts were so excited. The energy was probably even higher out in the lobby and I swear a square dance or something was going to break out. People were singing and clapping and stomping and it was like a pre-party to what our guests were just about to experience. So that was one of my highlights. I think about that all the Mm. time. Um, And and it just reminds me of the community experience that uh, we can offer and create for volunteers and what happens when you rub shoulders side by side, as opposed to not always just getting in that circle, but when you're doing something side by side, what can happen and what can be celebrated. Um, But I do know, you know, as we planned, we knew that there would be um, many church leaders that were coming that would be tired and... um, and worn down. And we really mm-hmm. just wanted to create experiences for them where they could let their hair down, where they could laugh their heads off, yeah. you know? Um, but we also knew that there would have been a long time maybe since they had been specifically ministered to in a personal way. And so, um, one of my favorite moments was when we had our volunteer spiritual care team pull together, serve communion and, and pray for people. I just yeah. think that was a really special moment. And, uh, Yeah. I that always cool. forget about that. Remember that. We had a couple of good talks too in the midst. Well, yes, the communicators <laughs> were excellent. <laughs> but you know what? Often, and I say that just as a joke, because often that's all people remember. And I think it was all the little touches and the community and the gathering and the parties and the after parties that made it. <laughs> Pardon me. So neat, getting emotional. Anyway, we're going to do it again, aren't we? Yes, we are. We uh-huh. got round two. You have to. When dates? you do something like that, you got to do it twice oh, at yeah. least. June. Right? June 14th to 16th. Okay. And so it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and uh, we would love to have you there. Registration is open. Registration open. And Tickets it is on its way up. to being sold out. It's we're on its way. pushing 40% sold eight months in advance of the event. Yes. But people can still get early bird rates, right? That's right. We've got our early okay. bird going and that, that price will go up after Christmas. So you want to make sure that you get in on that right now. And so you can go to canadianchurchleaders.ca That's for correct. more information or canadianchurchleaderconference.com. Uh, we got it right there. And uh, as of right now, you can still get in. So that's good. And bring your team, right? It was better when people brought their teams. People really enjoyed it as a team experience. We did. There was fabulous content. We, um, you know, there's room in part of the second day, particularly to spend time with your team and to process what you've been learning. And, uh, and I think it's, I think it's, even if you bring your spouse or if you're at a smaller church, an elder or a key mm-hmm. volunteer, it's just helpful to come out of an experience like that with someone that you can chat about it with. It's vision casting. We still bring, you know, sometimes dozens of people to events at other churches mm-hmm. just so they can see and they get out of our little bubble and go, oh, that's possible. And then we mm-hmm. come back and they're all infused. So we hope that's the case. And we've even talked about doing another backyard party at my place. So eh? I heard. That's uh-huh. exciting. And I have to say... You know, if 
you might not necessarily want to spend, this is sad to say, you might not want to spend time with your team members. <laughs> not everybody's there. Not everybody likes who they work with. But I do think that sometimes friendship is not a lot more than shared experiences. And we would it just is. love to provide some fun shared experiences for you and your team where you can be that person that gets to let their hair down and laugh their head off and learn about your great big green egg. My big green egg. Big yeah, green my egg. big green egg. <laughs> I was thinking great big It is an XL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is an XL. There you go. In my backyard at 11 o'clock on a Friday That's night. right. Okay. Yeah. You hear, heard it here first. I think it might happen when, again. When we hosted 200 liters in my backyard last yes. year, and we may do the same for more liters this year. We'll see. Yes. Yeah, that we're was working a, on it. That was a great moment. That That's, was a fun moment. If I had that three was, moments, that would have been my third. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it was so much fun uh, to host people here. So... Anyway, uh, we may do a backyard after party at my place. We'll see. So 2018 Church Leaders Conference is happening in June. You can go to canadianchurchleaders.ca. Christine, we'll link to it in the show notes. Where can people find you online? Yeah, so um, you can find me on our connectuschurch.com and the staff page there and all of our team is there. You can check us out there. My favorite place to hang out online is actually Instagram. Me too. Yeah. It's my favorite platform so these I'm, days. I'm C. Birch at Instagram, or on Instagram and uh, I'd love to interact with you there too. Mm-hmm. And you do good stories too. You use Insta stories, don't you? I, you know what? I haven't. I'm a, more of the oh, writer so side of things. Oh, you're always on my Insta story. That's yes. it. Because it'll come up. You, yeah, 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 yeah. You I'm follow Insta you. story. Well, you have to start doing I it. I know. I should. I yeah. should. You should. No. Anyway, you're a great follow. So is your husband, Rich, from <laughs> yes. Unseminary. Yeah. And uh, thanks for being on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Well, my guess is you probably want some takeaways from that. So you can find them in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 232, where you will find everything. And um, yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. Hey, if you haven't subscribed yet, I would encourage you to do so. Um, It's absolutely free. And you know, it's funny. I I just saw there's this new podcast with N.T. Wright. It's like Ask N.T. Wright Anything. I'm like, yep, I'll sign up for that. But I had to see it like five times before I realized, oh, right, I will never listen to this until I subscribe. So if you're one of those people, and I know it's about 20% of every episode who just randomly sort of sampled on this, or maybe you're an infrequent listener, um, subscribe. It's free. All the episodes are there. Now we're at over 230 episodes of what I hope is leadership help for you. We're building a library and you can go back anytime and listen to episodes. We try to keep them evergreen. So uh, they work for you and your team as you need them. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for posting this to the socials. And thanks for being you. It is a joy to come alongside you and do this. And next week, we're back on Tuesday with a fresh episode. I have been looking forward to this one for a long time. Did the interview a few months ago. And uh, Daniel Pink is somebody who's really influenced my leadership. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author business leader who agreed to talk to us over here and talk to us all about the science of when you should do things. This is fascinating. Here's an excerpt. I'm not one of these super hardcore larks who, you know, can, you know, is just kind of naturally get to the office at 6.15 a.m. Yeah. and start working. I'm a, you know, I'm asleep at 6.15, but I'm at the end of my sleep. And so for me, it's like not anything crazy. It's like, you know, for me, if I get to the office at say 8.30, uh, and my commute is modest as 22 steps. If I, uh, so if I get to the office at 8.30 and I can do heads down work from 8.30 to noon, three and a half hours, I can get a heck of a lot done during three and a half hours of uninterrupted heads down work. Um, and, so, uh, and so that's it. And then I try to move my, 
my administrative stuff to the trough period in the middle of the day. And then I'll do sort of the more iterative creative stuff uh, later in the day. So that's next Tuesday on the podcast. Again, subscribers, you get it automatically. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for listening, guys. We are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.